Chapter 10, top 10 trends in peer-to-peer infrastructure. 10.0 crypto usability upgrades. It's difficult to overstate just how much innovation there has been in peer-to-peer infrastructure over the past two years. We'll look back at the wallets we used in the first 10 years of crypto as barbaric and technical breakthroughs of 2023 will look in hindsight like a quiet inflection point for crypto adoption. We'll reminisce about the graft and batshit crazy dipshittery of Dow governance, as one crypto lawyer affectionately puts it, in an era before we had legal wrappers for these entities or proper community management tools. We'll thank the old gods and the new that depend built us parallel hardware infrastructure to check the runaway power of big tech before it was too late. These are the good old days. Enjoy them. 10.1 wallet-centric future, MPC upgrades. If you own the world's primary crypto user interfaces, you're going to capture a good deal of value. Blockchain.com built the core of its $8 billion business by creating nearly 90 million self-hosted wallets. MetaMask propelled Consensus to a $7 billion valuation with the original browser wallet. PayPal acquired Curve for nearly $200 million in 2021. Coinbase, Circle, and Fireblocks consider embedded multi-party computation, MPC, wallet infrastructure critical growth areas for their businesses. And that's not even considering up-and-coming smart wallets like SAFE, which raised $109 million in 2022 and manages $35 billion in on-chain treasuries. That said, the average wallet user experience has been awful for years. The status quo requires users to sign multiple transactions in which they are expected to understand complex technical inner workings in order to avoid catastrophic hacks. Wallet friction points cause users to churn out of crypto products at best. At worst, they can be financially ruinous. Before we get into the meat of the much needed upgrades we've seen in the wallet ecosystem, let's do a quick refresher on 1.0 crypto wallets, background on EOAs, For years, externally owned accounts, EOAs, have been behind the de facto wallets on Ethereum. MetaMask has allowed users to execute Ethereum transactions using a single private key since its initial launch. While functional, that's proven to create honeypots for hackers as access to your private key via direct access or via a phishing exploit that accidentally signs over wallet access could unlock your entire wallet. The rigidity of our legacy wallets has also created bottlenecks to onboarding new crypto apps. As EOAs require you to buy crypto through an on-ramp, send it to a wallet, and maintain a positive balance before you can do anything on-chain. New wallet infrastructure has already radically improved the UX here. MPC wallets. MPC wallets remove some of the risks of basic wallets with a single private key. They are also different from simple multi-sig wallets in that they provide some flexibility in terms of signature schemes, threshold signature security, which are important, but I don't have time to go into here, and privacy. In early 2022, Coinbase announced they were shipping a new decentralized application wallet built on MPC tech, removing the need for users to maintain the entire burden of their own private key management. This is my favorite wallet today and I find there is an acceptable security trade-off when it comes to managing my true wallet funds, play money and payments versus long-term holdings, which aren't large enough to wrench me over, which is why I still have to grind through this report, so don't even think about it.
The MPC wallet allows Coinbase to have its cake and eat it too, retaining user relationships for non-custodial applications, but avoiding the liabilities that would come with direct custody or facilitating activity in certain on-chain applications like DeFi. It was a killer investment and terrific execution by the Coinbase team. Most wallet providers haven't yet sought to leverage smart contract accounts, SCAs, as creating SCAs today requires significant fees on Ethereum, and most crypto apps historically have been designed for interactions with EOA wallets or their MPC cousins. That may change in 2024. 10.2 wallet-centric future smart contract accounts. Today, the vast majority of self-hosted wallets are simple EOA wallets or MPC wallets. Scheduled upgrades on the Ethereum roadmap could change that. Account Abstraction AA is a core Ethereum roadmap initiative aimed at replacing EOAs with smart contract wallets or smart accounts. These new forms of wallets are dynamic and allow for things like social recovery options, apps that pay for fees on behalf of users, more efficient bundled transactions, security features like spending limits, multi-factor authentication using hardware devices, single-step multi-chain operations, again important because of the cost to creating a new smart contract wallet on Ethereum, and more. There's even one effort, EIP-7212, to support the signature scheme used by Apple that powers its biometric ID system. You might soon be able to use Face ID to confirm a Uniswap transaction. The core AA implementation, ERC-4377, provides a standard for wallet developers, infrastructure providers, and end users to rally around in order to leverage the benefits of smart contract wallets without taking major leap of faith security risks with multiple implementations. When users interact with ERC-4337 wallets, they initiate user operations rather than transactions. User operations get sent to special transaction pools where bundlers package them up and post them on chain. Bundlers can be centralized parties or decentralized networks, but they serve a similar function to block builders and searchers in on-chain EVM transactions. They slightly re-intermediate crypto transactions and open the door for service providers called paymasters, who can pay gas costs for users, and signature aggregators, who can compress signature data to optimize transaction processing. The design has caught the attention of incumbent payments giants like Stripe and Visa, natural bundlers and paymasters in this new paradigm. And there isn't a clear winner in the smart contract wallet space yet, but to date, SafeWallet is the early leader. With nearly $35 billion in value secured on Ethereum alone, they've rolled their own relay network to support users and partnered with Stripe to create an SDK that serves as a sort of app store for safe users. Amongst other things, safe partners can integrate fiat on-ramps in-app powered by Stripe, which obviates the need to onboard to crypto through a centralized exchange. That's a threat to the incumbent exchanges and an opportunity to DeFi projects like Uniswap, which would prefer to create super app wallets that onboard users with direct bank or credit card deposits without the requisite pit stops through Coinbase or MetaMask, who are slowly moving downstream and could steal more DeFi users over time. Some layers like L2 ZK rollups, e.g. StarkNet and ZK Sync, have account abstraction available in their core protocols, but Ethereum provides account abstraction on an opt-in basis at the application layer via ERC-4377. 
4337, which won't require a core Ethereum protocol upgrade. Solana has always had native account abstraction via its program-derived addresses, PDA, and has always allowed for program accounts, which can store code. That capability allows for features like transaction bundling and custom multi-sig logic, GG, Solana. 10.3 wallet-centric future embedded wallets as a service versus super apps. Embedded wallets as opposed to external downloadable wallets like MetaMask sit naturally within an application. This architecture was perhaps most famously used by progressive web apps like friend.tech this year and helped create a seamless UX for users who never have to leave a new app in order to sign transactions. Whether you are talking about MPC wallets or smart contract wallets, the race is now on amongst the market leaders to embed their wallet tech as widely as possible. Coinbase's MPC-based wallet-as-a-service, WACE, MetaMask Snaps and Safe's App Store allow third parties to embed crypto wallets into their products and onboard users while outsourcing the arduous and technically difficult wallet creation and key management process onto the wallet designers. Those three wallet juggernauts can leverage their robust and trusted brands to capture the embedded wallet space, but things should get spicier. Circle entered the fray with its programmable wallets release in August and uh, Fireblocks announced a similar MPC-based WAS solution in September, which will power wallets for Indian e-commerce giant Flipkart. To be honest, I'm not sure where the greatest points of technical differentiation will emerge. The embedded wallet race feels like a marketing BD distribution contest rather than a technical space race, which leaves me wondering how other YS startups like DFNs raise $20 million and Privy, besides their steal of a partnership with friend.tech, will compete long-term. Privy may have already accidentally shown the way forward. Upstarts might consider pivots that swing from generalist WASP platforms, top left, to super app-affiliated wallets, bottom right, where they'll likely find eager market-leading application partners. Projects like Uniswap are working feverishly to ensure they retain control over their own user relationships as third-party wallet providers begin to blur the competitive lines, and it's not just about competitive forces, there are likely uh, user benefits to uh, specialized, vertically integrated super app wallets on a per-sector basis. Uniswap could incentivize the usage and growth of its mobile wallet by subsidizing transaction fees for its users, offering unique compliance tools such as automated tax reporting for DeFi transactions, or making personalized investment allocation recommendations based on user inputs. Likewise, you could imagine something like an OpenSea wallet that incorporates unique features for gameplay and allows its users to natively access NFT lending platforms. The idea of a fully integrated Instagram, Signal, Fidelity, and Bank of America is fairly terrifying, to be honest, and I think crypto apps will be no different. Many users will prefer to separate their NFTs, DSOC accounts, DEX trading and payments versus aggregate them in a single wallet. Um, 10.4, the ledger recover debacle. Uh, what's more dangerous, losing your private keys, becoming victim to a $5 wrench attack, or allowing a third-party hardware wallet provider to build a backdoor that allows for centralized multi-party recovery of your wallets in the event you lose the device. And that's a debate that raged earlier this year as Ledger battled through one of the biggest PR crises in its history. Though the criticisms of Ledger were overblown, 
The saga highlighted the challenges of managing the profound security slash slash usability trade-offs for crypto customers. On the one hand, Ledger's new Recover product could make it easier for normie users to avoid catastrophic losses associated with user error and private key loss. The opt-in service would, for $10 per month, split up and send three shards of a user's encrypted seed phrase to Ledger and two of its independent partners and allow the centralized services to recover the user key upon a user's request if they provided a national ID card. But there was a somewhat predictable revolt following the company's rollout of the Recover product as it became clear to users that it was even possible for Ledger to push a firmware update that could export encrypted private key data from its devices. Many people had previously been under the impression that this was purely impossible, similar to how Apple's secure enclave works in its iPhones. Dragonfly partner Hasib Qureshi explained how this reflected a technical misunderstanding of hardware wallets and corporate communications snafu rather than a real vulnerability. But Ledger was forced to clarify that the recover feature could make user keys available to governments and civil litigants under certain scenarios, e.g. criminal investigations or national security requests. When I read all of this, my first thought was, no good deed goes unpunished. The benefit of Ledger addressing the risks of self-custody with a reasonable user recovery service probably outweigh the risks that funds are ever seized by authorities via a court order. But as I've considered it further, I worry that this sort of thing could open a Pandora's box for bad global regulatory requirements. If governments move to ban self-custodial wallets, without recover-like features, are these companies in much of a position to fight back? This doesn't exactly seem like a negligible risk in Europe post MyCA and TFR. I worry about the default slowly shifting from opt-in to required for citizens in country. I'd much rather see a divergence between the hardware wallets available on the market. As Ripple's David Schwartz summed up, Ledger or another company create two separate firmware release streams, one with account recovery and one without. Ideally, users could buy devices without account recovery features and only add the recover firmware if they first wiped the device of all previous key material, and Ledger could make a public commitment not to introduce features that would change their default firmware streams to permit key material to leave the devices after keys were generated. This would be functionally similar to creating a non-upgradable ASIC wallet. I'm glad this drama unfolded in the midst of a bear market, to be honest. I think it's important that we have these philosophical battles around user defaults and state seizure resistance while the stakes are still relatively low. I expect we'll see both new hardware models and a variety of new services that handle high-stakes edge cases in the year ahead. 10.5 Deepin Storage Wars. If wallets are the front doors into the house of crypto, hardware networks are the foundation. I don't think there is a more important area of long-term development than decentralized physical infrastructure networks, DEPIN. Uh, token models have long helped align the crypto software development market, but they've been just as important in shepherding physical resources, starting with Bitcoin and Ethereum mining. 
Uh, in recent years, tokens have helped uh, accelerate the build-out of physical infrastructure networks that makes the internet itself harder to censor or shut down, deepens, spans storage, computing, wireless connectivity, energy networks, geospatial data collection, and more. It's one of crypto's most vibrant ecosystems, and progress only seems to be accelerating. We can break down to PIN into two main forks, physical resource networks, PRNs, and digital resource networks, DRNs. PRNs incentivize participants to deploy location-dependent hardware that provisions resources to certain physical locations for energy, geospatial data, or connectivity use cases, whereas DRNs create a new location-independent backend for the cloud, incentivizing market participants to provision certain digital resources like compute, storage, and bandwidth. The market demand for DRNs has continued to explode from a small base but we have still only scraped the surface in potential adoption. The cloud storage market is $80 billion and growing 25% per year, while decentralized alternatives serve under 0.1% of the market, even though they cost 70% less than providers like Amazon S3. As I outlined in chapter one, at the very least, these networks offer a cheap hedge and decentralized redundancy which may be attractive to enterprises looking to back up their services in emerging markets with subpar infrastructure or who are operating in gray market industries at heightened risk of censorship. Of the major decentralized storage providers, four are worth highlighting in particular. Filecoin is primarily geared towards providing cold storage solutions to enterprises and developers. Its competitive pricing and ease of access make it an appealing choice for Web2 entities seeking cost-effective alternatives for storing large amounts of archival data. It's the dominant storage network by capacity and utilization today. Storgy is optimized for providing hot storage to enterprises, offering cloud object storage that is compatible with Amazon S3. It offers fast retrieval times and has proven effective for large video file sharing. These features have led storage to focus on the media and entertainment industries. SIA is also positioned within the hot storage market and largely targets developers. SIA appeals to users looking for a private storage solution with quick retrieval times. Arweave is particularly attractive to NFT, metaverse, and decentralized social projects thanks to its innovative pay-once-store-forever model. Sammy's modeling shows potential Arweave demand increasing 20x over the next three years how might that impact the token price? It is unlikely most businesses will ever revert to hosting their own server infrastructure in-house and managing complex hardware setups. But it's equally unlikely many of them will continue to blindly trust centralized big tech vendors either, especially given that in some cases, those firms have told us not to trust them. Instead, we'll see the emergence of a hybrid cloud where computing is managed across multiple public cloud services and integrated local and edge infrastructure. That's a boon for Depin, a sort of mean reversion to the historical status quo where enterprises better control their hardware. In a tech ecosystem driven by outrageous hype cycles, the economics behind Depin networks are easier to understand, Airbnb for digital storage, uh, and their tokens are easier to underwrite. If decentralized networks eventually take 10% of the cloud market, the results in this sector will be eye-popping. You can check out the full market map of who we're watching here. 
though there are three areas beyond decentralized storage that I'm watching particularly closely. Decentralized databases, AI adjacent uh, crypto computing networks, and wireless plays. 10.6 decentralized databases, uh, there's, uh, decentralized storage networks are only as powerful as the decentralized databases that make network data accessible. I'm looking for breakout infrastructure projects that allow developers to build on better indexed data sets. The graph leverage decentralized data warehouses, space and time, and offer decentralized access control systems, lit protocol. Decentralized databases have suffered from major performance and latency issues historically, but there are glimmers of hope that these products level up significantly in 2024, and it's one of the areas of greatest opportunity in the DRN segment of DePIN. Applications in DSOC, gaming, dynamic NFTs, and ML AI will all depend on a proliferation of decentralized databases. Um, 10.7 decentralized wireless networks, um, you know, as physical resource networks are having a moment. Helium Mobile, a carrier built on the Helium network, introduced a $20 monthly phone plan this summer alongside T-Mobile, which offered unlimited text, talk, and data to new customers without the constraints of a wireless customer contract. Similar to the hybrid cloud model of decentralized storage networks, Helium Mobile created a hybrid coverage model, dynamic coverage, that leverages the reliability of an established network for high-quality roaming services that fill in the gaps for customers beyond Helium's early bootstrapped coverage map. At the same time, Helium Mobile customers have the opportunity to earn crypto through a program called Discovery Mapping when they share their location data. This not only provides incentives to make the switch to Helium Mobile, but helps identify areas where additional radios might enhance network coverage and improve the quality of the service. Helium's location and data transfer network can also benefit other D-PIN networks like HiveMapper and Dymo, which need to transmit their devices data, which provides an additional revenue channel on top of traditional wireless monetization. Critics will question the sustainability of Helium Mobile's uh, cost structure uh, and the increasingly absurd uh, regulatory constraints facing these sort of projects but they would be betting against a team that has already installed functional hardware networks at scale in the past. I, for one, am in favor of any project that helps break the stranglehold of our data, Google and Apple, and wireless infrastructure, AT&T and Verizon duopolies, and will be signing up to test it after I finish this monstrosity of a report. Fred Wilson already has it. 10.8 depends AI machines. The AI revolution is largely a revolution in hardware. NVIDIA was the top performing Fortune 500 company of the year, and hardware-driven Meta isn't far behind. The failed coup against OpenAI founder Sam Altman appears to have been driven in part by his efforts to raise billions of dollars for a new specialized AI chip. And AI solutions in crypto will similarly be hardware-centric. The development of artificial intelligence is currently facing two critical challenges, the computing bottleneck, which is a sort of speed limit on development, and a lack of collaboration with most AI research being conducted behind the secretive confines of big tech companies and AI labs. The dual trends create risks that AI will concentrate in the hands of a few centralized powers. AI projects within crypto are addressing both issues, Decentralized GPU marketplaces like Gensyn 
offer a solution to the imbalance between the short supply and skyrocketing demand for the GPUs needed to train AI models, creating a sort of decentralized supercomputer. Bittensore is revolutionizing the way AI researchers work together by incentivizing the creation and sharing of machine intelligence. The Bittensore network enables individuals to contribute to open source AI and monetize their work, regardless of the size or niche of their contributions. This is akin to how the internet made niche contributions economically viable and empowered individuals on content platforms like YouTube. In essence, Bittensource strives to commodify machine intelligence and become the internet for AI. Additionally, the convergence of AI and crypto widens the design horizons of crypto in a few ways. One, AI agents can utilize crypto infrastructure for payments and access to digital resources, storage, compute, bandwidth, autonomously. Two, innovations such as ZKML enable smart contracts to securely query AI models, thus broadening the capabilities inherent to blockchains. Three, tokens provide a means to reward individuals for fine-tuning models and for collecting valuable real-world data intersecting with DPIN, 10.9, select DAO dysfunction. In the crypto utopian vision of the future, DAOs would be benevolent AI-driven protocol governors that operate with clear objectives and make excellent resource allocation decisions. Here's how DAOs actually work. One, a founder or small group of founders create a project. It could be a new protocol or an investment vehicle for venture capital, research, public goods funding, etc., or a combination of the two. Remember, DAOs are basically group chats with bank accounts. Two, the founding group launches a token that confers some governance rights over the project's assets, IP and funds, and potentially economic rights, fees on the protocol, or upside in the investments made. They make the initial decisions on how that token will be distributed, private token sale, airdrops, incentive farming, contributor tokens with vesting, bonding curves, etc., and who will manage the distribution, a labs company, a foundation, a token-governed DAO, or a combination of the three. Three, all three types of entities at the core of token projects are largely unaccountable. Labs entities tend to have major conflicts that implicitly or explicitly encourage them to double dip on their work in ways that misalign their shareholders and project token holders. Many of today's foundations are black boxes run by unaccountable bureaucrats, and DAOs themselves have been deemed unincorporated associations by the U.S. courts, which open up their contributors to uncapped personal liabilities. Four, protocol governance is an emerging field with no set standards, and legal and regulatory clouds frequently create disincentives to improve governance. Transparency is used against projects by agencies like the SEC and the delegates that tend to fill governance gaps at major projects are a sliver of market participants who are willing to take on outsized legal risks or are unaware of them post-UKI. The courts have essentially made it functionally impossible to move towards representative democracy. Five, these dynamics create graft, nepotistic rewards between related counterparties and the equivalent of no-bid contracts, security issues, there are few well-incentivized watchmen paying attention to day-to-day -day operations with slow reaction times in the event of crises and underperformance due to mob rule. As George Carlin explains, democracy means that 50% of the voters governing you are dumber than average. When you lay it out like this, it is miraculous so many crypto projects survive at all. 
and it brings credence to the idea that projects that survive and thrive with today's community governance norms truly are run by zealots in it for the code and will probably get more anti-fragile over time. Early crypto governance is like a mashup of early American federalism and uh, Silicon Valley boardroom hijinks. It's a shit show and it's glorious. In the absence of well-compensated professional managers and legal structures that actually work, most DAOs will likely operate under the crypto equivalent of the mandate of heaven, with founders operating in public and enjoying a great deal of deference, with cursory checks provided by off-chain signaling tools such as Snapshot to ensure things stay on the right path directionally. Often, these checks will be mere ratifications, not true proposals, subject to token holder vetoes. We'll eventually see a fork between two different types of DAOs, true decentralized autonomous organizations, uh, which are run by intelligent AI agents and actually run autonomously, exciting and terrifying possibilities, and delegated authority organizations, which more closely reflect today's communities, but with the benefit of legal entity wrappers. To that end, the most meaningful developments for DAO governance over the next few years might take place in legislative chambers and amongst crypto lawyers, not on chain, as outlined in Chapter 5, don't hold your breath on U.S. federal legislation. Instead, keep an eye on smaller countries and U.S. states. The path to success will be at the state level, similar to the LLC's journey to mainstream acceptance back in the 70s. So far, we have seen some form of Dow legislation in four, soon to be five, states. Wyoming, Vermont, and Tennessee had early legislation that contemplated Dow's as legal constructs. Utah joined the fray this year, and a Dow bill passed the Texas House this spring and awaits consideration by the state Senate. Mind-numbing but important work that will dictate whether on-chain governance becomes a legal possibility or gray market pipe dream. These aren't mere thought experiments. Poor governance is expensive and non-trivial to solve. DeFi protocols face three core challenges to decentralizing governance power, civil attacks, low token claim rates for airdrops, and abysmal retention rates. 10.10 DAOs are worth the headache. Ah! There's a criticism that DAO governance essentially boils down to this. We're simply relearning all of the mistakes of the past in corporate governance and building the equivalent corporate norms on chain after expensive trials and errors. And there's some truth to that, but I think we don't give enough credit to the few things that DAOs are really good at. One, they are lightning fast and cheap to create from scratch. You can spin them up for virtually nothing, fund them, manage them, exit them, and functionally destroy them by liquidating their on-chain assets within minutes. U.S. lawyers might scoff at this, but in countries with a weak rule of law or for small or anonymous groups operating in gray market industries, these benefits will far outweigh any potential risks. Two, code crosses borders and can reach friendlier jurisdictions faster than legal process can react, which means that the legal nexus of a DAO is fluid and liability is more difficult to enforce at scale. Although a U.S. judge ruled that Uki DAO should have registered as a CFTC-regulated commodities trading platform, it's unclear who will actually pay that court-ordered fine or how that penalty can and will be enforced. No individual DAO members were found liable, and there is no corporate entity that sort of jurisdictional arbitrage is an advantage to DAOs in practice, even if authorities throw the book at some of the more egregious DAO representatives. 
in a scattershot approach. It resembles the SEC's selective enforcement actions against various token projects during the ICO boom. There are simply too many DAOs to pursue and not enough government resources. The bigger risk is on the civil liability side, as there will never be a shortage of plaintiff's attorneys who now have the upper hand in commercial litigation following the Uki precedent. Three, there is unlimited potential for creative new corporate actions. The frontier of new types of transactions, IP deals, and new management models are limitless. Imagine a hostile takeover via a flash loan. Rather than conduct a malicious oracle attack, a buyer could take private or merge a protocol by amassing majority control of a protocol in a matter of seconds. We're already seeing plenty of experimentation in the user-generated experience genre. Shorting a DAO's potential based on short-term headwinds betrays a lack of imagination or sense of crypto history. That said, there is nothing I would rather waste my time or limited life force on than precedential on-chain M&A or proxy battles. Yes, there is potential for project consolidation, synergies of various projects and their treasuries, etc. But it all sounds nightmarish to me. Consider Aragon's years-long battle for its $200 million treasury, which may yet end with a wind-down of the project. Faye Protocol's ill-fated merger with Rari and ultimate dissolution of the project. Arbitrum's pre-spent spending authorization bill DAO governance limitations remind me a bit of our historical exchange compliance limitations. The most qualified people to serve as DAO representatives and proxy voters are also the most attuned to the risks of serving in such a precarious capacity. The courts are going after some of the higher profile DAO leaders who have participated in good faith on-chain protocol governance in the past. I think it's a travesty to punish good faith efforts at crypto governance and that DAOs are worth fighting for. But I'm sure I'm not alone in shying away from today's unlimited liability status quo. This is a dilemma I personally want to help solve in 2024. We can and should set better governance standards and browbeat regulators into working with us on safe harbors in whatever jurisdictions we can.